Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. This summer series is exciting because we're getting to revisit the most listened to episodes from last year. For number nine from 2021, Gretchen Saffles is my guest, and she's the founder of Well-Watered Women, which equips women to be rooted deeply in God's Word. She's going to share her personal story of ways God has held her up through storms in her life and how He's given her delight through her obedience to Him. She's also going to share practical ways that we can abide in Him and grow spiritually. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Gretchen. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Well, can you just start us off by going a bit back and give us some context about your upbringing and your childhood dreams, and then eventually a pit that led you to a transformative encounter with Jesus in college? Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home in Texas and had parents who loved the Lord, who taught me the word. And I'm so grateful for that upbringing. When I was seven years old, the Lord called me to himself and I gave my life to Jesus. And I remember just loving Jesus. He was my best friend. I would sing songs to him, you know, and it was like he was just always with me and I was always aware of him. But as I grew older, we were always in the church. I ended up going to a private Christian school. I started to fall into this kind of pit of legalism thinking that as a Christian, I have to be perfect all the time. Like, this is what I have to be. I have to live up to this standard of perfection and always be the good girl that I thought everybody expected me to be. And the legalism and the struggle with perfection continued to just grow and amplify in my life. And when I got to college, I struggled with a lot of insecurity. I feel like I was very sheltered in a way, you know, when I was in my parents' home and went to a public, you know, university and it was just night and day difference from what I'd come from. And I struggled with comparison and had actually gone into college. I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard of the freshman 15 and with my, you know, whole legalistic perfectionism tendencies, I remember saying, I am not going to gain the freshman 15. Like that is not going to happen to me. And what ended up happening was the opposite. I started to fall into this pit of an eating disorder, of being very controlling over what I ate, thinking all the time about what I ate, um, exercising, and all of the above, to where by the end of my freshman year of college, I had lost, I mean, over 20 pounds. The starting picture of me going to college and then the ending picture of that freshman year, it could not be any more different. And I remember. I was blinded for a while by my struggle, by the eating disorder. I thought that I finally had arrived. I, you know, met my goals. And I remember trying on some clothes one day with my mom and her looking at me with such concern in her eyes and just seeing tears. And it was almost like God took these blinders off my eyes to see what I really looked like and what I was really struggling with. And I feel like that was one of the moments where I just started to hit rock bottom. God was so gracious to just show me his grace and his love that endures forever in those moments where I felt like I had lost everything. You know, I had lost my beauty, my outer appearance, my confidence. I feel like I had lost maybe my reputation of, you know, being like the good girl who had it all together. And it just totally wrecked me. In that time, God brought so much understanding and clarity, but also through the brokenness, he brought healing. And I really believe it was through that brokenness that God set me free from a a lot of strongholds that I wasn't even aware were really controlling my life. 
And so I'm so grateful. You know, I can see how the Lord in those early years, you know, he was forming me. He was showing me just his friendship and his kindness and his love. And later when I hit that pit, the bottom of that pit and met Jesus there and just experienced his grace in a whole new way and the beauty and the power of the gospel that it changed me forever. And it just makes me think of that verse that the kindness of the Lord is what leads us to repentance. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like in your mom's eyes, maybe you saw kindness there. Is that accurate? Yes. Not judgment, not anger, but compassion and kindness and love and mercy. You know, she saw past what my body looked like and, you know, could see this struggle and how much more does the Lord see past that? You know, he already knows the thoughts of our, you know, minds and the intentions of our hearts. He knows all of that even before we're aware of it. And so as he was making me even more aware, I feel like I understood the gospel in a whole new way because I thought the gospel was for people who had it together for some reason not for people who were falling apart. And I began to see that the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners who are dead in their sins, who are separated from God, who are helpless and hopeless without him. And it is only by his grace that we have been saved. God is so gracious. He doesn't save people who have it all together. He is the only one who has it all together. Amen to all of that. And it's so interesting, Gretchen, as you share openly your story, it makes me think of how clear it was for your mom as an outsider, something that you said you were blinded to, that I'm assuming the world was giving you compliments and praises, and you said you had reached your goal for whatever size that was, and yet your mom had the spiritual eyes to see the wisdom of that emptiness, and that's so gracious of the Lord to let the scales fall off of your eyes and not be blind. But what did your path to recovery and healing look like? You know, I think everybody wishes healing and recovery was just like an overnight flip a switch on and the lights come on. And it's not. I mean, when I think of that path to recovery and to healing, a few of the things that come to mind, you know, one of the very first important things was bringing other people into my struggle. You know, so for so long, I had been battling this. And I thought it was, you know, between me and the Lord. But other people could see this struggle, you know, they could see the stronghold, they could see the way that my body was looking different, the way I was spending my time, the way I was eating. And so as I began to open up about it to people who were trusted and to people who I knew would encourage me and point me to Jesus, that began to bring some freedom. Because when we step out of darkness and into the light through confessing to the Lord and then also sharing it with other people, God begins to start that healing process. So, you know, I was involved in a local church at my college and my pastor's wife was somebody who I'd gotten to know really well. She was kind of mentoring me as I would come into her home and just help clean and, you know, do whatever I could to be around her. So bringing those people into my life just made a huge difference. And then Christian counseling. I still go to Christian counseling. I just believe so firmly in the power of having a wise counselor to listen and to help us see things. And so seeing a Christian counselor who helped expose the stronghold of perfectionism that I had and kind of helped me see like, not the fruit of the eating disorder, but the root of it, that was really helpful. And then memorizing scripture. Oh my goodness. Like I wrote down so many scripture verses on note cards and took them with me everywhere. And, you know, this was before you had like the Bible on your phone, you know, right now it's it's so accessible to us. There's like apps for scripture memory and all that stuff, but none of that stuff existed when I was walking through this 15 years ago. So I would carry these little scripture cards with me all over the place. And, you know, when I was studying in the student hall, I would have these verses there and I would just go through them over and over. They were you know, healing to my mind. And they were also replacing these wrong thoughts that I had. 
But overall, healing was slow. I mean, it was slow and it was long. In that though, in that slow healing, God was doing more than just healing my body. He was healing my mind. And I have seen over the past 15 years that God is so much greater than the strongholds that we're struggling with. And he is able to restore our souls. Satan will try to steal our joy and our identity and label us with shame and our struggles. But ultimately, it's what God says about us that has the final say on our lives. How did God begin to pour out his grace on you and even allow you to begin sharing your story in what felt like the midst of living your story as you were on this healing journey? Well, I remember thinking that I was alone. (laughs) You know, we all think that when we're walking through some kind of struggle, like it's just me. I'm the only one struggling with an eating disorder or anxiety or fear or whatever it is. And that's one of the ways that I think Satan keeps us in the darkness is believing that we are alone and that we'll be judged for what we're struggling with instead of allowing us to enter into Christian community that, you know, ultimately the body of Christ, it's this picture of Christ, like the hands and feet of Jesus. And so there's so much healing that comes through that Christian community. And so I remember just feeling like my Christian witness was ruined, (laughs) thinking, I have just totally blown it and I've ruined everything. You know, that was just the thought process that I had. And I remember just praying and just saying, God, if this is part of my story now, which it is, then use it for your glory in some way. I remember just sitting with a friend and we were eating and just kind of seeing some patterns in her. I was like, I think she may be struggling with what I'm struggling with. And again, this was a girl who was leading a strong believer And I just shared with her, you know, I said, Hey, can I just share with you something that I've been struggling with and what God's been doing in my life? And so I kind of told her about this eating disorder that I was really battling to overcome and just kind of how it had impacted me and what God was teaching me. And she looked over at me just with tears in her eyes and said, I have not told anybody this, but I'm struggling with the same thing. And we were able to just walk with each other, encourage one another. And I've, I've seen God just bring healing in her life, which is so incredible. And so, you know, the more I was willing to share my story and to be, you know, a vessel of the Holy Spirit, to pay attention to those nudges that he would put on my heart, that, you know, he opened up these opportunities to set others free as well. That's one of the beautiful things is that, our stories, you know, our brokenness, they're not the end of our stories. They become part of our stories and our testimonies an opportunity to share of the gospel of grace, of what God can only do to bring us healing and wholeness through his son, Jesus Christ. That is such a powerful takeaway that we are always invited at any point of our stories to share our stories. And we reference this verse a lot at the Savvy Sauce, but in Revelation, it talks about the way to overcome Satan really is by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimonies. And so I appreciate you sharing yours and just a really practical piece with your friend. You said you noticed some patterns. Are there any indicators that we could notice in our own friends that maybe we could call this out in a loving way as well? Yeah. So for me specifically, you know, I was very restrictive about what I ate you know, very obsessive over calories and, you know, fat content, whatever it was. And I was also over exercising. So it was a major idol in my life. Like I wouldn't take the bus to class. I would only walk, which meant that, you know, sometimes I was really cutting it close to get to my next class, like walking two miles to get there instead of just taking the bus to get there, you know, and then my body was changing. Like it was very clear. My pants weren't fitting. Uh, My face was looking very like kind of sullen and sunken from losing so much weight. And I had noticed that in my friend as well, that, you know, when I would eat with her, she would only eat like a yogurt for lunch or, you know, she would exercise a lot and all the time. And so I saw those patterns of legality in eating and exercising and also the way that, you know, 
I would think about it all the time and I would talk about it all the time. And so I, I noticed that in her too. And and so I think, you know, there's, when it comes to eating disorders, there's also just overarching disordered eating. So it's not just, I struggled with anorexia, but there's bulimia and anorexia. And I think those are the things that people think about the most, but you know, there's also other forms of disordered eating, like crash dieting, constantly being on a cleanse or, you know, having, I have to do this, this, and this in order to be okay. And so whatever it is, you know, if you see this kind of obsession, tendency of like rule following when it comes to eating and exercising, I think those can be some kind of warning signals. You know, I needed people to be there for me instead of trying to fix me. The process to healing was slow and long. I needed people to just encourage me and to walk with me and to let me know that this wasn't going to be forever. And so, you know, if you see somebody like I, I had people that pointed it out to me in ways that were unhelpful, that felt very judgmental and scary. But the people that came alongside of me and said, I see you, you know, I know that this doesn't define you. And I'm going to walk with you in this, in this journey of the healing. Those were the people that helped me the most. So I want to add that into that. If you do see somebody not to point it out in a way that feels judgmental, but to say, Hey, you know, I've noticed some things. Is there anything going on? Like, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? How can I walk alongside you in what you're walking through? Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Can you share the story of how you met your husband? Yeah, we actually met at middle school camp, except we were not in middle school. We were working at a camp at a church and I had never dated anybody. I'd made a commitment to the Lord when I was in middle school that I wanted to not just, you know, date around. I wanted to really wait and, you know, be very clear about who God was calling me to date and, you know, get to know people. And so that was not, you know, I graduated college and thought, oh, you know, my plan when I go to college, I'm going to get fall in love and get married and, you know, graduate with my MRS degree. But that did not happen. I graduated single, having not dated anybody seriously. And so I had graduated and was wondering, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Because this is not what I was thinking. <laughs> and through just his sovereignty and his his wise plan, I ended up working at a church in Tennessee. And I ended up going to intern for the middle school ministry. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm never going to meet my future husband here. Like, <laughs> I, I'm going to work with middle schoolers. Clearly, I'm not going to meet my future husband. So it was just kind of funny because I feel like I went to work at this church going, okay, Lord, you know, I surrender this to you. And while we were at the middle school camp, I ended up meeting Greg and it was on eighties night. So, you know, they have like different themes for each camp night. And I looked totally ridiculous in like an eighties outfit. And I remember meeting him and he said, his name was Greg Saffles. And I was like, Saffles, wait, what's your last name? He said, Saffles, like waffles. And so now that's pretty much what I always say to people because it's hard for people to know like what saffles, even though that's not technically how you say it, you don't say saffles. So we met and at first, you know, I remember just thinking he is really different from everybody. 
And I would see him just being so servant hearted, so humble, um, just worshiping the Lord and being there for others. I was still pretty guarded though. I was not just going to start dating somebody. So we, we ended up just getting to know each other for six months. I stayed on board at the church and started working at in the women's ministry. It was funny because he would always come to the women's ministry events. You know, we needed someone to do sound and he always volunteered and I loved it because I'd get to hang out with him. So we were, we were just friends and I made that very clear. I was like, we're just going to be friends, you know, because I know it would be a big deal if we started dating because we're both on staff at the church. I'd worked in student ministry that January. My windows were frosty every day, you know, because it's cold in Tennessee and I'd wake up and somebody had scraped my windows and I was like, what is happening? Cause I lived with a roommate and her windows were all frosty. You know, I'm like, why are my windows being scraped off? So eventually I found out that he was waking up really, really early to come scrape off my windows just to serve me. I mean, once I discovered that and we talked, we started dating and then we were engaged four months later and married five months after that. So we joke about being, you know, meeting at middle school camp, but technically we were older than middle school. <laughs> that is amazing. And I love hearing that story of the way that he served yeah. you well. Yes. At that season of life, did the two of you have similar visions for your future life together or your career aspirations? I always thought I'd marry. My dad was a pastor. My sister married a man in ministry. So I was like, I'm going to marry a pastor or a worship pastor. And, you know, Greg was neither of those. He worked at the church, but he did the creative ministry and just different than what I was expecting. And he was this man that, and he still is, is just like a behind the scenes servant, always there to, to help others and to do whatever, you know, to make things just like joyful and helpful to them. And so, you know, as we started to get to know each other, I, you know, realized just his heart for the Lord, his desire to just honor God and whatever he was doing. And, you know, it was funny because back then he talked about seminary and that's still something we're, we're talking about and potentially pursuing. And so we really did. I mean, as the more we got to know each other, we realized how similar our passions were and that even some of the things we were passionate about, like, you know, going on adventures and things like that we were able to bring that out in each other. And so it was fun because I feel like we were able to be even more of ourselves with each other. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're very different. I'm the talkative, want to get to know everybody. He's more the quiet, you know, behind the scenes, like introvert. So we are opposites in some ways, but in a lot of ways, we're, we're very similar. And as we look at that season of life, that's when you were transitioning into a new career and I've heard you say before that Well-Watered Woman began as a big dream in a small apartment in Tennessee. Yes. Can you just elaborate on those small beginnings? Yeah. So we actually, we got married, you know, that November and he was still in school. So he graduated that December and he'd been offered a job at a church plant of the church we'd been at. So we knew we were going to move from Nashville to Knoxville. And we had kind of like a delayed bigger honeymoon just because of his school and our jobs at the church. You know, that was just a busy time. Later that December, we went to Hawaii and it was so much fun. And when we were coming home from Hawaii, we found out that my mom was in ICU with a very rare autoimmune disease. So we came back from, you know, this high of just the best honeymoon to a crisis, a major crisis. And we moved not long after that to Knoxville. And I didn't get a job at first because I was going back and forth from Georgia to Tennessee to help take care of my mom. And, you know, God really used that time to kind of like shift my priorities. Like, okay, I, I really was able to see how fleeting life is. And, you know, Greg was really gracious, even though we were making like no money, like barely getting by. He just encouraged me, okay, like now's the time if you want to try something new, like, let's dream about it. Let's make something happen. So, you know, I took some time during all of that, you know, going back and forth while my mom was in, she had to go to a rehab facility to learn to walk again from this autoimmune disease. And so during that time, I, I was dreaming, okay, what are some things that I would love to do someday? 
So I ended up coming up with this idea to create my own Etsy business. And again, we had no money, no resources. So I would just go to garage sales and like thrift stores and Goodwill and find old things that I could make into something that would be useful and and enjoyable to somebody else. And so I did that for nine months to a year, but I knew that that wasn't what God was calling me to do long-term. I'd always had a heart for ministry and wanted to work in like girls ministry or something. And so I ended up, you know, having this desire to create a quiet time journal for women that would help them get into the word. And that was just for my own need. I knew I, I wanted something that would be exciting and engaging and inviting to open my Bible each day and spend time with the Lord. And I had no clue how to do that, but I was leading a college small group at the time at the college that was there. And one of the girls that started coming to group was a design major. And so I was like, Hey, I have this idea to create this. Can you kind of show me like how to design it? I can sketch it out for you. So she showed me and I used, you know, the little bit of money that I had made from my Etsy, like random store that I had to create these quiet time journals. You know, once I started doing that, I knew, okay, this is what God called me to do, to create resources, to help women get into God's word. So started, you know, creating the Give Me Jesus journal, different Bible studies and just tools that would help women be excited to open their Bibles. So it grew pretty quickly from there. And we found ourselves shipping all this stuff from this itty bitty apartment. And one of my friends came on board with me and took over the shipping responsibilities so I could just create and write and, you know, do the things that I felt really passionate about doing. And since then, we have grown. We we have a warehouse in the Atlanta area. And I think there's maybe like 16 girls that work with us now from the warehouse side to the design and writing and all those different aspects of what we do. So it's been really cool to see how the Lord has just provided. And obviously there's so many twists and turns in anybody's journey, you know, in the road that we take. But even along those, it's all part of God's plan and he works through every single thing. So even the things that may feel like failures, you know, or like major dead ends, God is still working through them and he's forming our hearts and our minds so that we can be more like Christ. So ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what I I long for is to know Christ and to make him known through what we do. I think you're doing an incredible job with that. And it does help to have a fuller picture of those high highs and those grand experiences, but also Mm -hmm. remembering those small beginnings. And with your mom, what is the current situation? So she still has this autoimmune disease. It's somewhat under control. It can still flare up autoimmune diseases. You know, they're all different, but a lot of times they can kind of manifest in similar ways, but it's a hidden illness. A lot of times they'll call it. So um, what she had attacked her central nervous system, like her spinal cord, her immune system attacked it, which caused that paralysis. And um, they were able to treat it with steroids. So she is constantly battling, you know, different pains and just, just the effects of the disease. But she has done that with such grace and relying on the Lord. And it has really allowed me to see what it means to trust God and to live for what is to come instead of for what is right now, because right now we will walk through suffering and through very, very hard things, but God, he's so faithful and he's with us in them. Absolutely. But I just think that had to be such a tough season coming home from this amazing honeymoon experience into a very new reality. But you have your roots dug so deep into the Lord that it sounds like he's been with you and he's prepared you for some of that. And I love this resolution that you have to put the word over world. Will you Mm. tell me more about that? So that was several years. I'm thinking that was like 2017 when I kind of came up with that little phrase, word before the world. And it was because I love the end of each year to kind of go back and evaluate like what happened. You know, what are some things that I would love to work on in the new year? Like, I love that season. Some people don't care about it, but I just think it's really fun. So, you know, I'd always made some sort of resolutions. Oh, I want to exercise more. I want to eat better. I want to do this project, you know, just very like kind of typical. 
But that year I'd really seen that I was struggling with waking up and just grabbing my phone because I would sleep with my phone next to me. So I'd go to bed looking at it, wake up first thing and look at it. And it would really start my day the wrong way, you know, because I'd see like an email that came up that was discouraging or a text or something on the news or something on social media to compare myself to, whatever it was. And then I would realize like it kind of just dampened my desire to even be in God's word. And I wanted that to change. I knew that if anything else in my life was going to change, it would only happen by the grace of God, by putting his word first. Like ultimately that is what I needed. So um, I kind of was thinking, okay, what, what's the one thing? If I could just work on one thing this year, um, I wanted to put the word before the world. So that's where it came from. And I shared about it. And essentially, it's a commitment to hopefully read God's word before we pull up social media and begin our day. But it's also just, it shifts our priorities in so many ways and changes the way that I view my time with God, the way that I view my days in general. And rather than penciling in time with the Lord, I want my days to revolve around him. And I'm not perfect at this. It's still a struggle to get into God's word first thing. Sometimes I can't first thing because I've got young kids and they've already woken up, you know, and they need me in that moment. But ultimately that still goes through my mind. I want to put the word before the world. Like I want to spend time with that today. Cause I think that the term quiet time can carry with it. Like a lot of negative connotations. People think, Oh, quiet time. It needs to be quiet. It needs to be perfect. It needs to be this long. It needs to look like this. And we put all these stipulations on it to the point we don't even spend time with God because we think it has to look a certain way. And ultimately, this is just about like, show up. I mean, God is already with you. He is faithful. And to know that he He is speaking and he is working in your life. And we can meet with him wherever, whenever. So it's a lot bigger than just, you know, the whole like, wake up and, and try to read the word first thing to put our, our minds on him. It's about centering our days and our priorities around him and his desires. Love that paradigm shift. If you're enjoying these episodes and want to keep the conversation going, or if you want to see and learn more about our guests, or if you just want to check out if we're offering any current giveaways, make sure you stop by our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram at The Savvy Sauce. I love how you say that this is such an exciting time of year for you, that you like reflecting back on the past year and then looking yeah. ahead. And I'm with you. I totally geek out this time of year and love <laughs> January 1st. If somebody's inspired to put word before the world, then maybe they can learn something else from you. Because regarding your personal walk with God, you also talk about this acronym ABIDE. So will you share about each of those five parts of our spiritual journey? Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, this abide acronym. It actually came from, I was studying John 15. I love that passage. You know, Jesus is talking about what it means to live the abundant life. And it comes from obeying him, being his disciples and remaining in him. So I was studying this and I actually was preparing to give a talk to some girls that were leading at Windshape Camps. And came up with this, okay, how do I actually take what Jesus says in John 15? Since it's so important, it's not, you know, abiding in Christ is not an option. This is this is part of what we do. This is our life. And so I wanted to come up with something that actually give it like handles. You know, how do we actually do this? And so I came up with this abide acronym that comes directly from John chapter 15. So just to break it down, you know, the first one is to accept pruning. And that's the very first part of John 15, you know, where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So this is one of the basic parts of being a Christian is pruning, that God is constantly working in our lives, you know, removing sin, removing parts of our flesh so that the spirit would be made evident. I've been memorizing Romans chapter eight for a really long time. And I finally, I'm pretty much there, but I have just really began to see how important it is that we are led by the spirit. And in order to do that, we have to accept the pruning of God. And this can come through so many different circumstances. I mean, it came through my eating disorder. He was pruning these different thoughts and beliefs that were not of him 
so that my life could bear more fruit so that I would not be attached to that false vine of an eating disorder. So to accept pruning, not to be, you know, to push back when the pruning shears come, but rather to accept it as a gift from the Lord so that we can bear more fruit. And then we believe his word. He talks about abiding in him and his word that the person that bears much fruit is the person that is obedient to God's word. And so to believe his word, not just to say, oh yeah, like I believe that. But when the rubber hits the road to really say, no, I don't believe that. I I don't believe that God is good or he is faithful. So to really believe his word in order to do that, we have to know his word and we have to see his faithfulness shine through in every moment of our lives. And then we identify false vines. You know, there's so many things that we try to attach ourselves to, you know, so going back to the eating disorder, because that's, I've talked about that a lot. I was attaching myself to this false vine of if I just looked a certain way that I would be loved, if I weighed a certain amount that I would be beautiful. And so I attached myself to that thinking that that's my identity. When ultimately our identity becomes Christ as believers. And he is the one who lived the sinless life and gives us victory every day. And he's the one who leads us to abundance. You know, Jesus, again, he starts out, I am the true vine. There's so many false vines out there, but only Christ is the true vine. And then the light in Jesus, that's the D of abide. So we delight in him. And I think we forget about this a lot in our walk with the Lord. We can just come to it with this like, legalistic checklist mentality rather than just delighting. I delight in my husband. We have so much fun together. Um, You know, we love to spend time together. How much more should we love to spend time with the Lord and just delight in him and his goodness and his provision in everyday life? And then lastly is enduring with joy. So we're going to walk through hard times. There's so much need for endurance in the Christian life and we cannot endure without being rooted and attached to the vine. And so we endure with joy. I mean, Jesus says that he does all of this for the joy set before him. And he says in in John chapter 15, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. His desire is for us to be full of joy. And he knows that the only way we can experience that full joy and that abundance is through abiding in him. So that's from John chapter 15. It's basically verses 1 through 13. And we want to abide in Christ because that's our joy, our connection to him. And that's what gives us the endurance and the delight and the perseverance we need in this life. John 15 is definitely one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. I think that and Proverbs 3 are my two current favorites. Mm -hmm. And I just have to say one more scripture from John 15, verse 4, kind of sums up what you're saying. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I just love this time of year, especially John 15 comes to life. And if anybody wants to refer back to some teaching on John 15, I'm going to link to the fruitful episode in the show notes as well. But Gretchen, we haven't even talked about a recent resource that you've made available. When I was reading your book, Jesus Models How Solitude and Time Alone with God is Important, and you teach that the Christian life is also important to be lived with others, not just by ourselves. So right. Will you share some of the relationships that have impacted your walk with the Lord that you specifically wrote about in your book? Yeah, I'll think of three, you know, right off the bat. I talk about my papa a good bit and how his love for the Lord and his walk with him has had just a tremendous impact on my life. That's why I created the Give Me Jesus Quiet Time Journal was based off of reading his Bibles and seeing how he poured over the scriptures and Prayed and he studied the scriptures and he loved them and he lived them. And so, you know, my papa really modeled this. He walked through great, great, great suffering in his life, and yet his hope was in Jesus. And then my mom, just all of the things that she has faced. So, my papa, that was her dad. So, my mom has just walked through great physical pain and suffering. And in all of that, she 
just remains attached to the true vine. So many times where I probably was like, I don't know how you're doing this. I'm barely getting by. She would say if she was sitting right here, it's all his grace. It is all his grace. Then Karen, Karen was a mentor of mine. She went to be with the Lord. Goodness, it was three or four years ago now, thinking it was four years ago. When I first met Karen, she was battling cancer, about with cancer again. She had walked through so much pain and suffering. She had lost her husband, her first husband, in this tragic incident where he had taken her boys camping. She and her husband had three boys, and they were on top of a mountain. It was actually December 31st. It was the last day they were going to bring in the new year doing this camping trip. And he was a pastor, and he was with the boys, and he had looked out at just the beauty of the mountains and creation all around him and just said, you know, boys, like, He was just marveling at God's goodness and creation. And then they heard a rattle and he was gone. He had fallen off the cliff. They never heard anything. The boys never saw anything. They didn't, they didn't know that he'd fallen off the cliff. They didn't find that out until the next day. And it was just like the Lord took him. And one day, and I think this was months later, she was in, you know, just out shopping and walked into a Thomas Kincaid art studio and was looking at the art and came across a piece of artwork that just stopped her in her tracks. And she said, where did, where did he paint this? How did he know about this? You know, and she was so confused. And when she looked at this art piece and it was very different from Thomas Kincaid's regular artwork, if you, you know, have ever followed him, he paints a lot of these like cottages really is just incredible at painting different light but this was of a mountain and it was, you know, a high mountain and it had a cross on it. And she was looking at it and it was the mountain. It was the mountain where her husband had died. The cross had been placed where her husband had been. And I mean, down to the specifics of the bushes that were on the mountain, these certain bushes. She, I remember her telling me about them. So she contacted him and said, I'm going to share my story with you. I don't even know how this has happened. You know, only the Lord. And she found out, you know, Thomas Kincaid got back in touch with her and he had actually had this kind of like vision, this idea for this painting that December. And it was very different from anything he'd ever done. And so he was working on painting this mountain scene. And I believe that he finished it like around the time, the end of that year. And that was, I mean, he literally painted this mountainside where her husband died and had no clue. And so it was so cool. He actually invited her and she was able to come share her story. He sent her a copy of the painting. So when I would go to her house, it was up above her fireplace and she had little tracks that she would show people. And it was just her story of God's goodness and his provision that even in her great loss that God had such a bigger story, he was working on something so much bigger for his glory. Wow, that is so powerful. It leaves me speechless. Well, Gretchen, you're in so many leadership positions with work, leading a team of women, and then as a mom, leading your children with Greg and prioritizing your marriage. Like you said, your husband even works for Windshape Marriage. So what are your best practices specifically as it relates to all of those important areas of life in leadership and family and marriage? So ultimately, I go back to Matthew twenty-two twenty-eight. 28. The first and greatest commandment is that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Ultimately, in order for me to lead others well, you know, my team or my children or to love my husband well, I have to be loving God first when my priority is to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It then overflows into my marriage, into my motherhood and into my work. Because when we are loving God in that way that he calls us to, it changes how we respond to people, how we love them, how we prioritize them, how we respond to them. And so I go back to that passage a lot, you know, and then Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as ourself. So it begins, you know, we love God first when he is that priority, when he is 
center stage of our lives, then it will impact how we react and how we just take part in any other relationship in our lives. And so that's that's the verse that I often go back to is, God, how am I loving you first? And how does that love then impact my patience and my long suffering and my servanthood and all of those different things that is a part of our relationship with others? And Gretchen, you've just given us a taste of all of the teaching that you have available. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of your resources and even where we could find and follow you online? Absolutely. So um, I lead a ministry called Well-Watered Women, and you can go to just wellwateredwomen.com. You can find our shop there where we create resources to equip and encourage women to be rooted deeply in God's word. And those resources range from quiet time journals or Bible studies, verse cards, you know, whatever it is that we can create to help you cultivate this deeper walk with the Lord and a consistent walk with him. And so there you'll also find articles that are biblically rooted, gospel centered. And we also share just encouragement daily on social media. So on Instagram, you can find us at Well Watered Women or the Well Watered Co. That's our shop. But I also um, had the joy of releasing a book this year called The Well-Watered Woman, um, Rooted in Truth, Growing in Grace, Flourishing in Faith. And so there's a whole chapter in there on Karen. There's a chapter on abiding. And so, you know, if a lot of these things that you've heard in the interview have been encouraging to you and you want to just, you know, kind of maybe dig a little bit deeper, the book would definitely be where you can go. So you could find that in our shop, but you can find it on Amazon, your local bookstore. Wonderful. Thank you. We will link to all of that, both in our show notes for today's episode and on our resources tab of the website. And you know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, Gretchen, what is your Savvy Sauce? So one of the really practical rhythms that I have sought to implement I really want to know scripture. I've just seen the importance of knowing God's word and being able to call it to mind. So scripture memorization, but it was always just, it seemed so hard to me. You know, I was like, how do I add this into my busy schedule? So I've created this rhythm where every night before I go to bed, I read on my iPad. That's where I I like read most of my books like that. And I found this app called the Verses app, and I pull it up every night to review scripture that I'm memorizing. And it's a really fun app. Like you can do fill in the blank. You can do different things to kind of help your mind start to really meditate on that passage and, you know, get it into your thoughts. And so that's been just a really practical rhythm that I've loved because I know every night this is when I'm going to memorize my scripture. I'm going to review it. And then I use, we have a word before world scripture memory journal in our shop where I'll write those verses out and I can take them with me as I go. So those are just really practical and it's made that spiritual discipline, something that I just really love and I enjoy each day. Well, it is so evident, Gretchen, that you are deeply rooted in God's word and that those deep roots is part of what he's used to help you weather these storms. And it's obvious to us listening that there is so much fruit and fruit of the Spirit evident in your life. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. And I loved hearing your story. Thank you for being my guest. Oh, thank you. I loved getting to talk to you. And I just really pray that this conversation really, really blesses and encourages everybody who listens. Oh, thank you. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. 
This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.